Hello, and welcome to Open for Business, a corporate travel and expense podcast powered by TripActions. Open for Business is a series of conversations about corporate travel and expenses. We're speaking to the big picture thinkers and the frontline decision makers, the circles and squares charting the future of travel technology and corporate team management. Corporate train travel has grown in popularity amongst business travelers in the UK and around Europe for more than two decades. With advancements in technology, changes in network competition, and shifting consumer expectations, it is poised to become a preferred mode of transportation for millions of business travelers, and not just in Europe. As business travel picks back up, the numbers are clear. Not only are 74% of frequent business travelers comfortable traveling by train right now, but business travelers are more frequently booking rail over air travel. There's also legislation in the pipeline that would make all rail transportation even better for consumers in the future. Today, we sit down with William Phillipson, longtime travel technology executive and leader, veteran of ITA software and founder of Silva Rail, along with Stephanie Weaver, transport supply director for rail at TripActions, to discuss the future of train travel in Europe and beyond. Will, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love to start by learning a little bit more about your background. Thanks for inviting me. My background, I'm um, fairly typical of about half the travel industry, which means I got into it completely by accident about 20 years ago. Uh, Starting out in Montreal, uh, working for a travel technology company before getting recruited down to Boston at uh, National Leisure Group where we built one of the first dynamic packaging systems uh, in North America or the world, which was a very fun and exciting time of, uh, you know, being on the edge of the latest and greatest trends. Um, From NLG, I actually went to ITA Software, where I worked um, in various capacities there, one of them leading their next generation GDS product before getting moved over to uh, be one of the leaders on the Air Canada reservation project uh, that they were working. So really learned the underside of the airline industry and how everything connects there. Uh, then looking for a challenge, I uh, decided air was too easy. Dynamic packaging was too easy and decided to do something really complicated, which is how we came about to founding Silver Rail in the depth of the downturn in 2009. 2009. Uh, with the idea, perhaps me naively, that um, <clears throat> rail, uh, passenger rail was uh, becoming uh, much more appealing to uh, consumers, to travelers, but was really unattainable, very difficult to access, very difficult to uh, research and purchase, not available in most places that sold all the other types of travel. And so as uh, intrepid entrepreneurs, we started out with the idea that we would uh, just, you know, connect all the rail from all over the world, three-year plan tops, have it all connected, connect, you know, the big players on distribution. Easy peasy would be done and dusted and uh, all go and enjoy ourselves on a beach somewhere. Um, Well, 10 years later, we were still working on the problem. Uh, proved to be a very interesting experience because the rail industry is very different from the airline industry and and whatnot, not only technically, but uh, commercially, politically and and whatnot. And uh, in 2017, we sold the company to Expedia Group and I left it uh, last year. I work for a partner service and solution team and I am heading up our rail um, working and getting contracts with our um, suppliers. And I um, 
work on a few other projects right now, but I'm very focused on rail. Well, I'm excited to talk about rail today because we're really seeing a growth in rail and we're seeing a growth in consumer interest in rail. And we're seeing that it's going to be a really important part of the business travel experience today, but also moving forward. What is rail and why is it a relevant transportation option for business travelers? I think every kid at one point has played with a train. So uh, we, we, we all know conceptually what a train is. Um, never mind movies and, you know, every romance movie out there has a train in it somewhere. But uh, really what's, what's relevant today, uh, unfortunately, much more so in Europe and Asia than in the U.S., although the Northeast Corridor it, it does have a little bit of it, is uh, the uh, increase in availability of high-speed rail. And so what is high-speed rail? Uh, according to the technical definition, it's, it's trains that travel at uh, 250 kilometers an hour or, or faster. Um, but really what that means is uh, a dedicated infrastructure and uh, obviously very fast transit on that infrastructure where uh, trains can get you from point to point quickly and efficiently. And there's a number of things about rail when you compare it to other forms of transit. Uh, because it's a dedicated infrastructure, there's no traffic jams. They're able to get from uh, the station out of the station into the countryside where they uh, get up to high speed and all the way to the destination very quickly. There's uh, not a lot of the um, uh, overhead that exists in the airline travel uh, airline industry. Uh, you know, the notion of uh, arriving at the train station early is 30 minutes prior to departure. Um, you know, maybe a little bit more for some of the more uh, 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 complicated trains where you have to go through customs or things like that. But when you compare it to an airline where you have to be two hours, if not more, and who knows what it will be like uh, uh, with the recovery now, um, and you have to travel out of the city to find an airport, sometimes an hour or more away, uh, rail can provide um, a really much, much better experience for customers who are trying to get from one place to another place. Often that other place, particularly if you're on business travel, is downtown in a city center uh, that you want to be able to get to your meeting, get to your hotel, whatever it is, very quickly and efficiently. Additionally, uh, Rail has always had an aspect of um, luxury to it. Uh, you know, the, 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 again, back to movies with the Orient Express or things like that. Uh, there's an opulence to that side of it. But modern high-speed trains um, are a luxury of a different type. You have space. Uh, you have onboard services, whether it be a cafeteria or at your seat. Uh, you have Wi-Fi. You don't have a 30-minute period when pulling out of the tra uh, train station where your seat backs have to be upright, your seat belts fastened, tray tables up, uh, uh, and all the rest of that. You can start working right away. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it's an experience which can be highly productive and efficient as well as uh, uh, easy for you to get to where you're going. The sustainability and um, the green aspect of rail is very important um, in terms of flight shaming, which is very real in um, countries uh, in Europe right now um, and all over the globe. Um, 
rail is a much smarter decision. And I think that um, what most of the rail companies are doing right now, even on the technical side and um, what we're doing in terms of showing our um, carbon offset is, is super important um, to be able to help companies feel better about the choices that their employees are making. No, I think you're quite correct, Steph. Um, you know, the rail travel presents uh, about a 70% savings or less CO2 emissions and environmental impact than other forms of travel. So <clears throat> where it's voluntary, where people are interested, it's a great way to reduce your carbon footprint. But more importantly, where companies have made a commitment or there's actually uh, growing action from governments mandating cuts in uh, environmental impact, rail travel is a fantastic way to not uh, impact the business to allow people to focus on what they need to do, go to places, meet people, get business done without, uh, generating the, the negative, um, emissions that cause the environmental impact. So it's very green. It's very, uh, environmentally conscious, uh, on top of the other benefits of just being a practical and enjoyable way to travel. Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing is that I think it was a maybe, Five years ago, that sweet spot for the corporate traveler on a, on a train trip was, you know, anything three hours or less. And now that tolerance level due to what's going on with um, climate change and global awareness, um, that's increased now to they're saying, you know, between four and five hours. And, you know, if for a business traveler in terms of what they would choose rail versus air. Um, so I, I think that's another interesting uh, development with all of the global awareness on climate change in the world. So as Steph, you bring up the how things have changed and the tolerance, there also are other aspects which make it much more interesting uh, from a personal perspective, as well as a, a duty of care or things like that in terms of getting employees safely and healthily uh, to, to where they need to be. Uh, so there's a whole lot of things that are stacking up there, the time, the efficiency, the experience, the CO2 or environmental impact. And now we've got the um, biosecurity aspects as well, which are being added in there, which is quite interesting. I think that we're going to see an even bigger increase in interest around rail. Before we get to that, I'd love to first take a little bit of a look back and to see whether you can share, either of you can share some perspectives in how train travel has grown over the last five or 10 years. The, the biggest catalyst um, in train travel uh, in Europe because Asia is quite different uh, in Europe has been, first of all, the EU and then the EU's um, legislative and economic processes to drive investment into rail. And what I mean by that is if you look at rail historically, outside of the few private luxury experiences like the Orient Express or, or things like that, um, rail has really been national. Uh, each country has had their own railway. It has usually been a national uh, uh, railway. Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, aspects of the railway have been um, somewhat used by the government for military purposes, as well as for private uh, uh, travel. And, you know, because it's been associated or subsidized by the government in many respects, 
it hasn't always had a uh, consumer approach or consumer friendly approach. It was a service. It was almost like a public utility. Um, <clears throat> And there's been a couple of things that first started off privately with the likes of Eurostar and, and things like that, which was cooperation between national governments. But then increasingly, uh, uh, governments and then the EU started plowing money into the high-speed rail infrastructure, first nationally and then increasingly transnationally across the borders. Um, and that has made a huge difference in terms of the service that countries have been able to put up and 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 offer. Um, and it's had the effect of really drawing cities closer together. Things that were, you know, a day trip or longer, unless you flew and that was expensive and difficult to do, uh, rail has made accessible to many, many more people. Um, also by creating these high-speed rail tracks with high-speed trains, the other tracks can be used by freight or by local services much more frequently because they don't have to stand aside for the high-speed rail that goes on. So really the last 20 years um, where the money has gone into uh, these services is where they've uh, started coming online. And one of the unfortunate parts about rail is it takes a long time uh, to, to implement. You know, you can't uh, decide to add a new destination tomorrow. You, you're a 20-year a, a process of planning and, and uh, authorizations and whatnot and eventually laying tracks and certifications. Um, but then you have these train services and you see this between cities like Madrid and Barcelona, like uh, uh, Paris and Frankfurt, like Paris, uh, Brussels, and Amsterdam, um, uh, Milan to, to Rome. Um, and these services very quickly become adopted by people. It's within the two to five hour threshold uh, that Steph was mentioning um, that makes it easy to go there for a business meeting, an afternoon meeting, a dinner, a breakfast, all those sorts of things, which you can do without having to worry about what's traffic like, uh, you know, what's the weather like, uh, are, uh, is there going to be delays at the airports uh, or on the highway or anything of that nature. Um, and so that's been a key catalyst in making the change over the last two, two to three decades. Um, we've touched a bit on the good of train travel. It's accessible. There's a wonderful experience. It's more convenient. Can you tell us a little bit more about the areas that you think can still be improved when it comes to the passenger rail travel experience? I, I think one of the challenges um, is frequency, right? We, when you have these corridors and you can, and, and they're long distance, let's say, you know, a sweet spot, 600 kilometers between a city that has at least 250,000 people to another city with at least that many people, you need to have the frequency. And that right now, unfortunately, isn't something that you can see on a rail schedule compared to air. Air is just, you can get to those places um, much more often. Um, and, and I think that that sometimes plays in the decision-making, um, you know, a very crucial role. Accessibility is, is one of our customers' top, you know, needs. They, they need to be able to go when they want to go. The, the lack of consistency technically um, in terms of how you book it um, from provider to provider. Whereas there is a lot of commonality in the airline or even the hotel or other things, uh, other industries, um, 
unfortunately, the rail industry still has a lot of its roots in that very myopic nationalized approach. Um, things that were started, frankly, a hundred years ago or more, um, where rails, you know, the first tracks were put down, the first locomotives were put in place. Uh, each country went about thinking about how that right to travel would be offered to customers. Um, and while there's been tremendous innovation and investment from, you know, uh, old uh, coal powered log burning steam engines to, you know, 350 kilometer an hour electric trains um, to paper tickets, to electronic tickets, to all sorts of things. All that innovation has done is codified what was done a hundred some odd years ago. So Germany typically has tickets where you can buy the ticket and you can travel on any train. You may need a seat reservation, but that has nothing to do with the ticket the right to travel. Whereas France is more airline style. You get the both together. Uh, the UK has tickets where some of the tickets mean you can travel on any train all day. Other tickets mean you can travel on any train within certain hours. Um, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's very localized in each country. Uh, that, um, is all the more confusing because the trains look exactly the same. The, the railways, um, haven't been able to come together to create standards, to standardize the way things work uh, in terms of the concepts, never mind the technology. So for you guys uh, uh, being able to connect to a railway, um, if you choose to connect to a railway, there is little that you can learn or use from a technical basis on then connecting to another one. Um, which is one of the challenges, uh, uh, huge waste of resources, huge amount of time sink. And then, you know, railways uh, uh, change their APIs, change their functionality, some very, very regularly. So it's also a very expensive ongoing process, which makes it very difficult. Um, so there's technical impediments there that are, that are, are challenging. The other part is really the consumer experience. Um, similar in many ways to the airline industry, some of the business processes have been dictated by technology as opposed to the other way around. And so you get some very, very bizarre things where uh, taking certain trains you have an empty train sitting at the station, you have a ticket for the next train, it would be in the interest of the railway to say, you're here early, you want to jump on the earlier train, we got 50% vacancy on it, jump on it, don't worry about it. And we can maybe even sell your ticket to somebody else on the overcrowded train that's next. The antidote to that is, is competition. One of the most amazing transformations I've seen in, in service has been uh, Trenitalia, who um, 10 years ago was a state-run uh, uh, railway who, who had many interests, many of which were not including the fact that they were a service organization. They didn't realize it. And it was only with the launch of uh, Italo 
um, that introduced competition within the, the, the Italian market, that the customer service approach changed day and night with Trenitalia. So things like being able to change your ticket at the station through a vending machine um, and things like that were, were massive innovations for the railway industry, but something that, you know, there may be certain economic uh, uh, steps to be taken in the airline industry, but almost every airline will allow you to do a same day standby change, sometimes for a price, but for any frequent traveler without any penalty. It's interesting how these fundamental aspects of how the system was built are still impacting our consumer experience today. And I think that that's an important trend that we're seeing with the travel industry at large and, and have been for a while now, but how we're really kind of unbundling what was done in order to put it back together in a more efficient, friendly way. Competition drives a lot of that, but also something that historically hasn't been done is having uh, companies like yours uh, interact with railways, explain to them what is needed, what is expected. Um, oftentimes you have people in railways who have worked there for 30 or 40 years, and there is more and more new blood coming in, but a lot of them really do not understand the agency market, and particularly what a travel management company does, what somebody who services corporate customers does. So helping them understand that, understand why um, uh, same-day changes or the ability to uh, track tickets and, and be able to uh, re-monetize them or reuse them if, if a, a, a trip was missed or something like that. Uh, the the way of integrating in proper invoicing and, and uh, all of that sort of stuff, duty of care information, status updates, all those sorts of things, which are standard in the airline industry, standard even on Uber in many cases, uh, and that sort of a thing. Um, rail companies need uh, uh, to understand that better. Many of them are very willing and interested in engaging, uh, but they need that partnership. They need that feedback, which, um, uh, is difficult for them to understand and embrace uh, to date. How can travel management companies better serve customers who are looking to travel by rail? What are some of the services or features that they can provide that would help provide a better customer experience, even as the rail companies themselves may be still catching up to what today's modern consumer expects from a service provider? It needs to be broken down into two categories. You have people who are familiar with rail. And if you uh, uh, take the Acela from New York to, to Boston or DC on a regular basis, or you take the Eurostar on a regular basis, you know what's involved. You've been to the station, you know the process. So it's really about making sure that that is a viable travel option that is presented to you when the criteria matches. For the other types of travelers, whether it's you know rail, but you don't know Madrid to Barcelona and could you take a train there, or you've never done it, it's really more uh, uh, how to educate them, make rail discoverable and make it uh, uh, a um, more comparable experience. The top use case for corporate travelers in rail and what they want to be able to do is I got out of my meeting early and I want to get on the next train. 
And that has to be able to be done on your phone. <laughs> and it has to be able to be a consistent experience for every carrier. And what Will was talking about before and that there are no standards, it is possible and we make it possible in trip actions with some of the rail providers that make it possible. But until we have, um, until all of the rail providers have that um, availability and provide that technology, um, you know, it's just, it can come off looking like a gap. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what business travelers want. They just want that flexibility. Another aspect to all of this that I want to touch on is around duty of care. What we've seen in the past four to six months is that duty of care is one of the utmost important responsibilities of any TMC and any travel manager and making sure that um, a travel manager in partnership with their TMC are able to provide that duty of care, whether it's seeing where the traveler is or being able to communicate with them. So I'm curious, what are the technical challenges or maybe the opportunities um, around rail when it comes to duty of care? Most railways do not have a real-time status update. Is the train on time? Did it get delayed? Uh, anything of that nature. Similar to airlines, most most uh, rail carriers do not have a uh, a boarding fee. You know, did you actually get on it? There are security and privacy issues there, understandably. But you know, ultimately, you would like to know if somebody's on a particular train, and then. As Steph was saying, that ability to change often is out of band. So, you know, they booked dutifully through uh, your application, uh, the invoices properly recorded, the itineraries there, all is good, but then they get out of that meeting an hour early and there's a train. Can they take it? A lot of the time that is done offline, that is going to the counter um, at the station begging, pleading, sometimes paying uh, to get it done. Or in the case of, you know, certain trains in Germany or the UK, just hopping on a different train. So you actually have no record and no idea of where uh, uh, the employees are. So there's quite a bit that needs to be done in terms of tracking where the right to travel uh, was was consumed, potentially with location tracking or lift tracking or, or other methods of understanding who's actually on a train uh, and where, where did somebody uh, travel to um, all of those things, which require not only participation or work from your side, but also the railways in a lot of cases. Um, And it's not an easy problem to solve in any way, shape or form until you get into something like tracking their phones, which opens up privacy and all sorts of other issues. There will be changes in the world, but ultimately people are still going to travel. People are still, even if it's not going in every day to your office, you're still going to be going out and going places, uh, um, and, and uh, uh, there will be ways that are introduced to help make that more uh, safe for people. And ultimately, rail is the most efficient way economically, time-wise, and environmentally to get people, large masses of people from any point to any other point. I would love to end this um, kind of looking forward and perhaps even on a high note about some of the things that you're excited about or looking forward to when it comes to the future of rail and what's possible 
when you combine rail with business travel. I look forward to the competition. I think it's fantastic that, um, you know, within um, Spain, you're going to see French trains. There's going to be competition along the Madrid-Barcelona corridor. I think that that always opens up fantastic business opportunities. And ultimately, you know, and it's what we at Trip Actions are, our number one, uh, our North Star is, what we do for our customers. We always want to do what is best for our customers. And um, I think that is what will be the most exciting for me. The focus on the customer, the more demands. And and I think it's interesting now with the recovery, everybody's going to be trying to get customers, uh, build that volume, airlines, uh, uh, other forms of transit and rail, especially. Um, And so hopefully that will help them focus on the customer, on the experience and be open to the conversations about what's needed uh, to, to win those customers back. Um, And competition uh, will sharpen their focus. Uh, The notion that somebody walking into your station is no longer going to get on your train really makes people sit up and take notice. Uh, So I think we will see um, more flexibility in the products offered in terms of that ability to make last minute changes. I think we will see better Wi-Fi ultimately on, on trains, uh, uh, 5g hopefully will, will add a lot there. So you really can get on the train and, and do your work or have a video call or, watch a movie if you're relaxing uh, on, on your way home. Um, and uh, uh, a lot more of that sort of stuff. Um, it'll also be interesting, some of the, the government initiatives to uh, drive uh, airlines to embrace rail and partnerships with rail, uh, you know, between uh, uh, certain ONDs where planes currently fly that governments are forcing, pushing towards, uh, you know, going to rail for environmental aspects, if nothing else, um, will the airlines and the railways cooperate and innovate so that you can have, for example, rail cars that are secure. So you don't have to go through security on the other end, that your baggage can be checked through things like that, which if you're flying out of Amsterdam, but your plane leaves from Charles de Gaulle, uh, being able to check in, go through security, get on the first segment, and instead of getting on a plane, get on a train, which serves you a drink and lets you get to uh, CDG and and then go directly to your uh, terminal on plane without having to go through security again and recheck bags and all the rest of that. That would be a great service. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of that innovation slowly coming online. Subscribe to Open for Business, a corporate t podcast powered by TripActions today. This podcast is brought to you by TripActions. Fast becoming the default for corporate travel and expenses, TripActions is the leading cloud-based t e platform that combines industry-leading tech with best-in-class travel agency service. Trusted by 4,000 companies globally, TripActions empowers organizations with real-time data and insights to make business decisions. Its flexible t e management tools enable quick and decisive action that keep business travelers safe while controlling costs and saving money. Learn more at tripactions.com.